Quiet and set. Camera. Set. Sound. Speeding. Ah. Hello everyone, this is Clementine from Candid Bros Production. I'm here with Oriane, the founder of Candid Bros Production. Hello everyone. <laughs> and Celia Learmonth, the uh, beautiful, wonderful, fabulous um, agent that we are interviewing today on Girl on Girl Action. This is episode two. We're going to talk all things agents, but also all things Celia, who is a <laughs> wonderful, hilarious, uh, wonderful again woman. And I <laughs> hope that you all enjoy. The, the question that you haven't replied to me, should we get a dog? That's a strong opener. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm big yappy dog energy. Yappy dog? Yeah. yeah. Are we like talking? chihuahuas. Oh, no. Sorry, no. <laughs> Pomeranians? Oh, thank you, guys. It's been great. Uh, <laughs> Wait. Yeah, Pomeranians, oh. chihuahuas, um, toy terriers, miniature Dobermans. Anything you can carry in a bag. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love that. A silly little dog. <laughs> very consistent with my personality. you know a friend of mine said come you like loser dogs like the dogs that would be eaten if there was still a dog food chain Aww. and i relate to that i entirely relate to that that's so sad Clem. <laughs> okay so you like pocket little baby angry dogs yeah um you're an agent i am didn't oh didn't intend to be one but here we are <laughs> it was a happy accident happy accident um if it was a happy accident, let's start because you gave us a bio mm -hmm. that was can only be described as incredibly hilarious. Um, oh, such an amazing one. <laughs> it was very long. We couldn't post all of it. Oh, so sad. But I kind of want to go through it because it just kind of shows how much of a legend you are. So, so I'm from London and my parents set up their own prop hire company, which in itself is a crazy story. Uh, my dad couldn't get a job at Budgeons, the police service. So then he started working in an auction house and then got a job at another prop hire company that did construction props for film and TV. And then the owner of that killed his wife, um, tried to kill himself and the company went under. So my mum and my dad then said, well, we've, you've been doing this for a while. Let's put all of our savings together and create our own. And so they started their prop hire company and I pretty much worked there every holiday weekend from being a child. Um, and it sounds quite cool, but it's literally a dusty warehouse <laughs> full of old tat. Um, <laughs> so I would um, be going around with the set decorators and uh, their assistants and saying like, oh, what do you need for this? And just helping them find the set dressing, the hand props that they needed for their production. And uh, then as soon as I got my national insurance number, I was like, I want to see what it's like on set. I want to go and do extra work and things like that. Um, so I did St. Trinian's 2, the search for Fritton's Gold or whatever it was called. I, I have never seen anyone so excited to do extras work in my life, by the way. <laughs> Mate, I did it for 10 years. <gasps> yeah. Oh my God. I did it once and my soul died. Oh, I loved it. It's, yeah, it's intense. Like, I'm that of sort of person. Come. If there's something I want to know about, I want to take apart the machine and see every cog, every everything that makes that machine that we see like at face value tick, how it works. So I did, yeah, St. Trinian's. I was a rude gal. <laughs> <laughs> there are pictures. And then 
did other bits and bobs, but then my first proper like long one, I was 17, I think at the time. And there was an open casting for the Les Miserables film because obviously they needed a huge ensemble of just, I mean, it was still extra work, but people that could be Parisian beggars. So I <laughs> queued up for three and a half hours at Guildhall to do this casting. You went and got picture taken, blah, blah, blah. And then nothing came of it for ages. And then it, I was doing my A-levels at the time. And in the April, they were like, we'd like you to be part of the Parisian beggar ensemble. There's a rehearsal, this date, this, that, and the other. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be a lame miss. <laughs> but again, with things that I, I do in my life, people give me an inch and I'll run a mile. Um, and I didn't want it to just be three days. I didn't want to just do look down and that would be the end of it. So I made a lot of friends um, <laughs> with the ADs, just having an unwarranted self-confidence and just the gift of the gab and um, made myself very much at home with the furniture and the other people so much so that I managed to blag my way to be uh, Anna Hathaway's stand-in for quite a lot of it <laughs> wow. so and I was like so I was bunking off school I was doing my AS level um, A level practice papers like in the loft of the Chatham dockyard unit and then going home scanning them sending them to my teachers because I didn't want to be I mean, they gave me a lot of shtick and a lot of grief for bunking off school, but I was like, I'm still getting the work done. Mm -hmm. I'm still mm -hmm. getting the grades. You might predict me under, but results don't lie. <laughs> um, so much so I remember I was in the, um, this is such a long story, um, <laughs> but it's cool. It's, yeah, it's very looking cool. Back, it's, it's random. Cool. Like so much so I remember I was, I had my um, headphones in practicing my French oral exam in the um, pub that they'd created lovely Eddie Redmayne comes upstairs to start rehearsing his um, empty chairs and empty tables. He was like, oh, do you mind if I... I was like, oh, let me get out of your way. He was like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm practising for my French oral exam. He was like, ah, très bien. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy wild. So yeah, I basically ended up doing two months on that whilst also doing my A-levels. Smashed them. Um, Obviously. <laughs> and then from there, applied to do musical theatre. And then I took two years out, which is when I went back into the prop hire company uh, side of things. And there was a, a set decorator that came in that her petty cash buyer had just dropped out that day. And I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, no interview, no process, no, no nothing. Um, just cool, getting your fee at 500 and come with me. Um, <laughs> because like she'd known me, like I'd been a friendly face there and obviously like knew my stuff from just being around the mm -hmm. warehouse gift of the gab and um, gift of the gab um saying yeah if i don't know how to do it i'll teach myself to do it and get up to speed so yeah so that was on a production called the last dragon slayer um and so yeah i did that then went on to endeavor then breathe which was really cool um because that was all like geeky medically sort of oh, stuff set designer. Andrew, um no still in the very much assistant assistant, set designer, assistant yeah. but i was getting things like um old medical equipment because it's about um the first case of polio um so that was interesting but then I again escalated the ladder far too quickly <laughs> um and uh worked on Victoria and Abdul where I was assistant production buyer to a guy called Michael Standish who is like Oscar nominated yeah, for his work on the Danish know, girl yeah. um so I was like wow this is wild um <laughs> and seeing people like Judy Dench and um Eddie Izzard like it was yeah it was wild that was the first project I think that I was on from like pre-production all the way to the bitter end. Like that was, yeah, really cool and cushy. And then 
another slightly dramatic thing happened in my life and I was like, I'm on the wrong side of the camera. <laughs> this is not what I want to do. Um, so I went back uh, to Erdang to retrain in, to finish, finish the course in musical theatre, going back into my second year. Eight weeks in, dislocated my kneecap, <gasps> tore the cartilage off the back of it, had to get reconstructive knee surgery. <sighs> Boring. Um, <laughs> still managed to get a lead in third year musicals. I played Mother Superior in Sister Act, really good gear. Um, got an agent, was auditioning, things like that, doing other acting classes because I wanted to be taken seriously as an actor, not just a musical theatre actor because there's still that stigma and I don't know why. <laughs> we have people like Hannah Waddingham, Imelda Staunton, Sheridan Smith. Musical theatre, also very, very good. Very, very good. <laughs> um, <laughs> they work so hard. Um, and then, so yeah, long story long, pandemic hit and the opportunity presented itself to be an assistant at the agency that I currently work at. And I thought, another insight into the industry, you say. <laughs> a unique lens for which I can look through <laughs> to help myself as an actor. Um, so it was very much assisting, but with the capacity to get further inside knowledge to be able to feed back into my acting. Right, yeah. So all of it was just for the acting, yeah. basically. It didn't? D did you plan on doing this for long or was no. it just like a temporary thing? No. It was just to break up the tedium between, you know, Zoom quizzes, Joe Wicks workouts, <laughs> making sourdough. Actually, I didn't make sourdough. Me and my mum got into a real like rabbit hole making cinnamon buns and trying to refine the recipe. Yes, no, I get that. I entirely get yeah, that. Yeah, I did that with cookies. Nice. I did mm. that with focaccia. Never managed oh, to make it. <laughs> yeah, it did not look good um, and taste good. Oh it, it no, but focaccia really is supposed to taste good, Aurea. Oh, yeah. I know, but I'm a very bad cook. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Really, really Babe, you can't have it all. No, she, exactly. she, she told exactly. me because we're we're having a little birthday party um, for oh, a friend yeah, of ours. <laughs> she told me, so you have to know, I do not know how to boil potatoes. I don't. I don't. They're <laughs> always too hard. I don't know why. It's really hard. And we have to to boil so many potatoes for Saturday. So many potatoes. And she was like, okay, so my brunch finishes at four. If the dinner is at seven, do I start boiling them at four? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Do you have the answer to that, Celia? Uh, no. Anyway, yes, let's yeah, get so back where, to... Where was I? Oh, yeah, <laughs> where so, like, so I had no intention yes. of this being a career change. Um, but due to someone else leaving, I got given the book that I was assisting, which was only like eight or so at the time. So the agency I worked at started as a, a musical theatre agency for about four years. And then in the January of 2020... Um, they wanted to branch out and have an actors division for film, TV and theatre. But then obviously, you know, March 2020, <laughs> put a spanner in that plan. <laughs> um, and so it was it was very, very small, hadn't even got off the ground yet. So I just I don't even know what I was assisting. There was nothing going on. But I thought, oh, why not? Basically, for about a year, I was chasing my boss going, have you have you found um, someone else? Because I'm not I'm not an agent. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm still very much wanting to be an actor and, and what have you. Like this, I'm just trying to keep this afloat. But me being me, I can't half commit to anything. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I loved the people on the book. So I was like, I'm doing the best I can. Um, but I'm still trying to like forever looking around for the responsible adult in the room um, that's going to gonna help me. <laughs> but then as time went on uh, and then the world started opening back up, it was kind of this little voice in the back of my head that was like, this is really fun. <laughs> um, 
great. Um, <laughs> and I was, yeah, still kind of straddling both camps for a while, still doing acting as well. Um, I needed other jobs to make ends meet. So I was still doing essay work, body doubling, oh, yeah. smack doubling, oh, yeah, we um, know that. hosting pub quizzes in the evening afterwards. Oh, yeah. So we're at like four jobs right now? Mm. Four, yeah. All at the same time. <laughs> many, many plates, but all the while treating my agency job as the full-time job, even though obviously it takes time to, to build an empire. Then earlier this year, I did a production of Twelfth Night at uh, Drayton Arms Theatre and I had this really peaceful moment afterwards going, I'm actually done with that. Yeah, yeah. And it's not saying that I'll never go back to it. I think when I'm like 60 and I go, I'm bored, I want to be at the National. <laughs> <laughs> and whoever the casting director is at that time that you I will have grown up through the industry with for the last 30 years yeah, of course. or whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe come back to it and grace the stage with my presence. And, and once again, you will have had a job without ever having to apply or audition for it, <laughs> which amazes me. It's a recurring theme. <laughs> it's not a solid business model. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it because with that comes permanent imposter syndrome. Oh my God, really? Anxiety. Well, yeah. I haven't earned any of the things that I've done. Why not? Because I'm just a bit of it cheeky, really. And just kind of invited myself to are the you, party. Are you good at the jobs that you that yeah, you've done? Because I because I it's hard to explain, but I know my ability to apply myself to something. I mean, obviously, you know, we're all full of imposter syndrome, and that's yeah. probably something mm. that we can touch upon. But we're <laughs> we're wired, kinda, yeah, we're yeah. Yeah. wired, and we're taught to be as women mm. that like you don't necessarily you you, you got to do like the right thing. Mm -hmm. And you got to go through the right channels and you got to go to drama True. school and you got to have the, you got to have that piece of paper. Yeah, mm. exactly. You got to have everything and then you got to go through the audition and you got to smash that. And then, and even then, and even then you're not entirely sure that you deserve it. Yeah. Right. Also yeah. very, very valid. Yeah. And and you get the Aren't Oscar. Aren't we messed and you're up? Like, we are very messed <laughs> up. Yeah, I know. But, it, but it's good to talk about. So we all realize no matter what stage of your career you're at, we're all just as mad as each other. <laughs> what a beautiful realization. I know, but I, I find it so inspiring to know, not know that you have like these demons in you, but to know that you demons. kind of, demons. but know that you kind of That's just my demon go voice. on. Demons. Like, <laughs> but to know that you kind of like, you know, go on and like, you can still be yourself and you can still reach for like something bigger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though you're not entirely sure whether you deserve it or not. <laughs> you, pro you probably do, right? But like, yeah. So I really admire that about you. Thank you. Girl on girl. My clients are family. Like I've always said since the beginning, my, as I said in my bio, my two biggest goals as an agent, to be thanked in a BAFTA speech and to be a godparent to one of my client's <laughs> children is so important for me. You need to have your, your strongest team around you and that is made up of your, your blood family, your partner, your friends, but your agent should also be within that circle. If you cannot share your anxiety, your joy, your every scale of spectrum of emotion with your agent, who you're effectively a business partner with, that is a business model that is going to fail because there is a lack of trust. Mm. There is a lack of communication. So all of my clients, I sit there, I go, could I imagine having you at the dinner table? Yes. Um, <laughs> that's kind of it. Are you talented? Can I have you at the dinner table? Have you got good crack? <laughs> not, not the drugs, like good chat. Yeah. Um, 
Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> this is going well. <laughs> the Love demon it. is really loud. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I have noticed, like, you know, I've gone through a lot of agents. Oriana's gone through a lot of agents mm-hmm. before we met you. And like, I think the first thing <laughs> we both called each other after a meeting with you and we were both like, oh my God, she's actually like nice and like a real person who like yep. wa- not like you know wants to be a friend but also wants to be your friend like wants to understand who you are deeply yep. as a person because like there is this weird disconnect between how deep and vulnerable yeah the 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 craft of acting is and how impersonal and sort of you know, surface level, mm. the industry is. And I feel like a lot of agents will kind of be, okay, well, what what's your unique selling point and what is the way that I can make money off you? And mm. that's kind of going to be it. And, you know, we've had agents mm-hmm. that have like sent us for really crappy things or not really understood who we were mm. as right? a person. Yeah. And obviously that will affect your career in the end and like the yeah, way that they treat yeah. you in the end or even disrespected us in a way like i've had yeah. that in the past with one agent i'm not going to name obviously but one agent that was just really harsh to me and patronizing mm. and literally telling me you don't know anything about this industry i've been here for a long time don't talk essentially and that was just the hardest thing to to hear and that's when i was like okay you know what no i'm not gonna have the imposter syndrome i'm mm. gonna be actually really strong and tell you to bugger off and that's when i went and self-represented myself bugger (laughs) off to say it in a very nice posh way (laughs) even though i still don't know how to do the rp accent whatever (laughs) but yeah i can understand in a certain respect someone that's been doing it for 30 40 years and like being around the block and whatnot like we all get tired sometimes perhaps but i'm very aware that i am on an on a more even keel with my clients in like the length I've been alive my place within the industry and so we're each other's peers we're each other's contemporaries and we can't end game the final result but we're growing up together through the industry and I'm seeing how it's changing and wanting to facilitate that to keep it current and the thing that I've noticed most of all is talent and skill sets aside the industry has become far more about authenticity and I'm like well how can you represent someone authentically if you don't know them as a human being before they are as an artist Mm -hmm. um so knowing people's lived experience and being able to use that for specific jobs so i guess that brings us to a question as well that we received Mm. from an actor how do you choose your agent how do you know that your agent that that person that you're approaching is the right agent for you do you think hmm or vice versa. How do you know that's the right client for you? I guess as well. It's the butterflies in your in your stomach. <laughs> yeah, it's like falling in love. <laughs> it's, oh, it's such a tricky one, but I think you have to combine a few different factors. What avenue do you want to be pursuing? Do does your agent have those connections within that avenue, or if not, do you believe them that they would go out to find those connections and bring them to the table? And ultimately, do you feel like you're in a safe space to raise concerns or questions? Because again, there's a lot of people that have the gift of the gab that then can't deliver results, which is something to be wary of. So having that balance or that Venn diagram that intersects between the business-minded approach and then that personal relationship 
And if those two things intersect, or it's what, then on the other side of the spectrum, if you want something that's very, very business, if that works better for you, trying to find that if someone is being too invasive for you, then you know that's wrong if you want more distance, but it's ultimately the way that you're wired as well and not compromising your integrity or things that make you feel secure for the sake of just having an agent. Do you think that some people, I heard a few people when I first started off say, don't go with just the first agent, as you said, mm. because it actually might hurt your career, your reputation to be with like agents that don't really deliver on what they promise mm. basically or that you know don't really know how to talk to casting directors in general mm. but it, it's so hard and I realize more and more how little control actors have which is why I manage my clients in the way that I do to be able to dispel that doubt that anxiety but you most people never know what their agent does between the hours of nine till six and can mm. only rely on what they've been told like you can't go and interview your agent and go, can I sit in the corner and see how you talk to casting directors? You do have to take trust. that leap of faith and trust based on the body of work that they've got, seeing, using things like IMDb Pro or looking on their Instagram and going, what are their repeat offenders? Like, oh, I see that they have a lot of clients on shows cast by this office. So clearly there's a good trusting relationship there mm -hmm. even though it's not the same project but obviously one casting office might have six or seven projects out at any one time and you go you do your research and you see ah yeah they're a repeat offender there's clearly someone in there that they get on well with sorry I use weird <laughs> <laughs> I have my little Celia language yeah I call them repeat offenders like people yeah. they keep going back to mm. again and again and again which has been kind of what I've been trying to build in 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 um being an agent who can I keep going back to and getting closer mm -hmm. and closer or eventually booking booking the thing yeah I mean that's exactly what actors do right yeah so it makes sense yeah. <laughs> I would say if there's an agent that you're seeing that you haven't heard the best things about and that is a concern to you I, d I can't say in binary terms whether it would be or wouldn't be detrimental to you because you never know you might be that person that gets a job with the agent that perhaps you're not so happy with but then that gives you the opportunity in order to invite someone or show someone your work to then take another step forward but if it really really is not sitting well with you I'd actually suggest people to go and work at co-op agencies yeah mm -hmm. because you're seeing it from the agent's perspective you're still being represented by yourself and by other people so you're still getting access to all the castings that you wouldn't get if you're just self-represented on spotlight and having that currency value so to speak in having representation but still seeking elsewhere but all the while acquiring knowledge so that when you do find that next agent that you delegate the responsibility to you can discuss and have conversations with them yeah you know a position ask. of experience yeah because in your in your opinion do you think because that's a question that we get a lot as well from actors do you think a casting director is not going to look at a spotlight profile if the actor is self-represented. And that's also why a lot of actors decide to just go with someone even though they don't trust mm. them, but they want to do that just for the sake of their career to make sure that they are being seen by casting directors. Mm. So do you think that's a thing or not? So we've got two scenarios. You've got a guy dressed all in the kind of like holy regalia behind a lectern in a, an ornate cathedral, reading from the Bible, people are sat there in silence, listening to that message because of the way that it's packaged. If we go over to the like top of Piccadilly Circus and there's a man screaming through a traffic cone <laughs> and he's still reading from the same book, same book, 
same message, incredibly different packaging mm. and a respect. Me as a self-represented actor, I felt like your man on Piccadilly Circus <laughs> screaming about Jesus through a traffic cone <laughs> that no one would listen to. So if we relate it back to acting, your, your agent is the person that's got that professional packaging mm -hmm. to make your message, even though the words are the same, have a little bit more credibility to it mm, because yeah. of their station with the industry, because of their connection pool, because of the information they have access to from being in that privileged position of being an agent versus the actor on their own that doesn't see uh, the majority of the opportunities and also trying to market mm. themselves. But then there's also other people that do very, very well at it. Um, and we hear these success stories of people applying for open calls or Instagram calls that didn't have an agent before, but then that right producer, that right director has taken a chance on them and then set them up with meetings with the best and brightest talent agents around the UK and the globe. And there's, again, there's no definite answer. <laughs> Everyone's going to get to the end of this podcast oh, no, and go, I learned nothing from that. This is like, what, do, this, what do I do? I'm still in no man's land. This is literally the business. Like, there is no answer. No. There is no answer. I mean, obviously, you know, there's like consistent work and dedication mm. and, you know, exploring the avenues, etc. And like, you know, marketing yourself in the best way possible. Yeah. But there is no answer. Another question that we got from an actor. Mm -hmm is if a client feels they're perfectly right for a part, is it okay to nudge the agent to submit them? Or should we trust the agent that they will submit us for anything they also feel we would be right for? Basically, is it considered a nuisance if an actor nudges their agents when they're so busy in dealing with other clients as well as the same time? Trust is not a prerequisite in any relationship. It needs to be earned. And how it is earned is not for the actor to shoulder the anxiety and put their faith in someone like you have to earn that and the way that you do that is through communication I often find that at the beginning of working with someone I get a lot of nudges I get a lot of phone calls saying have you submitted me for this and I go babe catch up I submitted you three hours ago like <laughs> you got to try harder or I'll just like screenshot the timestamp or you something. did that with me actually <laughs> as well yeah <laughs> and then you go oh they're they're ahead of me yeah great cool and then a few of those go by and then it's that same thing it's like mm, Ariane, you gotta keep up honey like I love it because I love proving that I'm doing the work and then over time through those kind of like yeah I mean I'm quite casual in that respect like I don't find it annoying um because I know what it's like to stomach that fear of going has that passed me by so I'm very much an open door policy of saying nudge me call me and I'll give it a go what you see on a breakdown might not be all that there is to it like as well when we, we're seeing a breakdown we don't see this the script we don't know the story. They might be looking for one thing which you're absolutely perfect for and you go, that is that is me or that is a lived experience or that is a role I've played in something very similar and it's on my showreel. But then there's such a long chain of communication. You will see that breakdown, but you might not see the next one where the role amendment has changed and they want someone Lithuanian, but you're yeah. still holding on to that information which is now outdated and they're looking for something else. Or you might see something you think oh my god my heart beats for that that is like the dream job no matter what scale of production if, that it is or budget or backing that it's got it might have collapsed and folded yeah and you won't know that from looking at your stuff we don't know that because it just disappears and we go i wonder where that project went <laughs> yeah and again because the industry is so unstable as an actor the time that you're in work is shorter than the time you're out of work realistically you're going to be auditioning 
more than you're going to be doing the job, yeah. which is also terrifying. But you need to have your agent that you can speak to in order to feel more settled and secure as a human being so that when you do get those opportunities, you feel more settled and secure in your art, your craft to be able to do your best work. Yeah, the the, the industry in general is just so fast paced, as you say, uncontrollable, unstable. And like there is like zero transparency, mm. <laughs> like the biggest equity campaign from the last few years has mm. been to tell casting directors to tell us no yeah. when we don't get like that yeah. is a union of hundreds of thousands of actors mm. and all they want is like a little bit more transparency and we're yeah. not getting that so like i totally understand wanting to like grab on to a little bit of control like a little bit of trust mm -hmm. with whatever you can control like whatever yeah. is in your reach to control you know it's so hard, but that is why the role of the agent or if you're in a bigger place and you've got assistants, associates and things like they're your Formula One team to keep you going. Mm. And if someone gets annoyed by that, like, you, again, you should be in partnership in business together. Your agent isn't working for you. You are not working for your agent. I think the best relationships are the one where you're working together um, and it's based on mutual investment, communication. And so if someone says they haven't got time for you, why do you then have time for them? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a two way street. Yeah, totally. And actors feel like they have to forever kneel at the altar of knowledge of the agent and bow down and be <laughs> like, oh, most reverent master. Like, no, <laughs> talk to them like a human being. Talk to them from a business mindset. Ah, I've seen that so and so is casting this. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna sign up to do one of their workshops. And um, would it be possible to follow up? with an invite to my fringe production or sh send them the short film that I'm doing to kind of keep that relationship on a, a simmer or a rolling boil in the run up to them casting for this. There's 82,000 actors on Spotlight. <laughs> One more time for you, 82,000 actors. There's a lot of competition. Yeah. yeah. And everyone knows that. There's also like 1,500 agencies, like we're a small office. But you have got to think, okay, right, so there's 1,500 agencies. If there's five people in each of those offices, God, that's a lot of agents and a lot of, there's more agents and more actors than there are casting departments. So not everyone's going to be friends with everyone. Not everyone's going to be, have a working relationship with everyone. Um, there are so many factors against, so what can you do? What are those things within your control? Going to workshops, going to Q and A's, going to networking events, all these sorts of things. Those are the things within your power that, could then be used as ammunition in order to be able to keep mm. going forward and keep those relationships or start those relationships. Girl, yeah, you're, you're kind of like an amazing example of how you're using what you've been, you know, like raised to be as a woman in order to kind of bring everybody back down to earth a yeah. little bit and like just make everything more human about the industry yeah i think that's why orianne and i really like connected with you it's just because mm -hmm. instead of you know I, obviously you have like a business mindset and you have mm. ambition and you want to go places and and you have gone places you know mm. to go back to what you said at the beginning i always want to understand all the cogs that make the machine everywhere i go yeah like that power to want to understand people and to know how to you know, open up the onion peels mm. a little bit. I think that's like, as you say, it's like a superpower. Mm. But also what you, I remember when you said to me, look out. So you'll see if you get a casting, you'll 
have a, a bad selfie of me on your phone. That's me <laughs> announcing to you that you're getting a casting. Yeah. If you get the role, then you'll get a freaking FaceTime. <laughs> yeah. Like all of that, I think is so awesome <laughs> and so human because it, it's great to receive the email, obviously, mm. but it makes it more mechanical, more, I don't know, robotic in a yeah. way. And more like, okay, you need to do the self-tape and that's it. Whereas when you get that really lovely selfie from you, yeah, I love it. It's so nice. <laughs> my, yeah, my chain of communication, um, like, so tape, selfie accompanied by a WhatsApp message and then an email with the instructions. <laughs> uh, a recall is a phone call. A no without further feedback, I'm afraid, is an email because, again, I'm a coward and I'm mm. like, oh wanted you to get it but there you go and no with feedback is a phone call a job offer is a facetime that's my secrets <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to come the day when i accidentally facetime someone and they're going to think oh my god i've got a job i've got on oh, whoops <laughs> i've not done it yet i've not done it yet girl and girl. all right i think that's just about everything that we have time for but is there anything else that you want uh, to say to the world Celia that you want to like you know make sure it is inscribed in the eternity of the girl on girl action podcast that is so hard to <laughs> plant got, on me right at the seconds. end <laughs> oh Christ don't no actually I do have something I want to say this applies for actors creatives everyone human beings the opportunity in front of you is not the only opportunity in front of you and you need to allow yourself to engage with that opportunity, even if it might not be the thing that sets your soul on fire, because that could open the door to something else, it more in the avenue that you want to be pursuing or in something you didn't even realize that you knew you wanted oh and that was more consistent with yourself. I mean, in general, it feels like, you know, like Celia, let life take you where it wants you to go because yeah. you will figure it out at some point and you will yeah. love what you do, but you know, you don't have to be subscribing to a certain like success book. Yeah. You can just kind of make it your own way. So yeah, that's yeah. my parting gift <laughs> to you all. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming yeah, and for speaking to us. It was girl on girl action and we will be back for episode three. This was Clementine, Oriane and our guest Celia. Girl.